lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So thanks for being with us today. Today we've got a really interesting show. We've got Steve Simpson, and he's a young adult author and youth advocate, and he uses the history of his own abusive childhood and his story of survival to help others survive and have hope. For decades, Steve has been speaking to schools and making media appearances, being entertaining, but at the same time giving life-saving information. Steve has been recognized nationally for his writing and his ongoing efforts in helping youth in crisis. Steve's books are proven to be a fantastic tool to enable young people to get help and have access to important information while at the same time entertaining his readers. His book within a book idea is unique and a great way to get this information to a teenager or a young adult without embarrassing them. So it's the Teenage and Young Adult Survival Handbook, and it covers a lot of issues. So, Steve, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, I'm glad to be here. So talk to us about, you know, the Teenage and Young Adult Survival Handbook. I don't think it's what any of our listeners think it is. No, so here's the scoop. So what that is is, and I'll explain the book within the book in a second. It's basically a handbook covering the different topics and things that I dealt with and most young people do today. Uh, for example, it talks about suicide, it talks about child abuse, being a child and alcoholic, um, self-esteem, okay, and how I spun my around, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, even surviving the holidays in a dysfunctional home is in there, bullying. Each topic is short and to the point because when you're going through these things, your attention span isn't that long. Okay, and you want to get your point out. What I do is I in each part, I share my own experiences uh, living through these things and surviving them and just assuring repeatedly that they're not alone. Okay, that you're one of many and also just resources. How did I get through it? I give them different resources, websites and numbers as well. I encourage them to speak to school counselors, school social workers in each one. And of course, most of I give them hope. Now, here's where it's a little different. Um, if you walked into a classroom today and said, who here is thinking of suicide? Whose parents are an alcoholic? No one's going to raise their hand. Okay. So no one's going to ever ask for the handbook. Um, so what I've done was I have, I'm a writer. So I have four young adult fiction novels. Okay. They're action novels. Some are science fiction, some are action adventure. And, uh, they read like an exciting movie a young person would see. Uh, a lot of humor in them. Uh, the characters, by the way, are very realistic. They fantastic. The story is the characters are all from home, broken homes like I had, live alcoholism. I wasn't forced to care for a little while. Some characters are forced to care. So the stories really read out. Everyone loves the stories. But here's the catch. Okay. The handbook is an insert in any of my four books. I, one's called Runaway. One's called Child Darwin. One's called Who Am I? And the other one's called The World is Wrong. So now... If a young person wanted to get that life-saving information and they got one of my novels, the premise could be they just want to read the story and not embarrassed for asking for it. Or in reverse, if you want to offer that to a child, okay, and say, you know, here, if you just gave me a handbook, I would have said to you, why are you giving me that? I don't need this. Instead, they're going to see the fiction book 
And you guys, I know you love stories like this. You, you just pray, Hail Mary, that once they have the book, they'll flip through it and notice the handbook and say, what's this? And then that's kind of a very non-aggressive way, non-confrontational way of giving that. A teacher could just say, hey, guys, I'm giving you guys a break. You're going to do a book report on an action, cool, cool book. And, but, well, but you have to read the whole thing. And while they're reading it, one thing, they'll come across that. So that's my theory. Social workers, teachers love the idea. Uh, because it's always, you know, those that need the help the most are the ones who don't want to ask for it. Oh, absolutely. And and there's so much shame and embarrassment, you know, at, around what goes on in a family. And, and suicide touches more people. The thought of suicide touches more people than I think anyone ever knows. After personally being experiencing it both on a personal level and on a professional level i it's i've learned a little bit about it and it's everybody should be aware of how to talk about it with people and it's a hard it's a hard subject to talk i think having a book and to be able to take it depersonalize and take the tension out of the situation is a great idea yeah, because the key is to get the information. You know, I, I know it's such a cliche where they say you're not alone. But, you know, most people who live these things do think they're alone. I did. I thought I also caused the problems. A little about myself. I'll tell you about my little background. So as a child, because my right, by the way, these books were ideas I had as a child on my escapes. So if we go to early grades, first grade, second grade, third grade, okay, you know, it's, you know it is to be an A student, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so I was, I was a Z student. Okay, I was the opposite of an A student. Uh, I was failing every test, always getting in trouble, always cracking jokes. If there was an assembly, uh, well, you know, I guess I'll speak to a school sometimes. Or if I was the kid there still, I, within five minutes, I was thrown out of class. Okay, you knew it was going to happen. Always interrupting things, uh, always starting up, um, never cooperating with teachers. It was like I would attack them head on. And, and I don't blame them. They probably dreaded me having the classrooms. They probably do straws to see who would get me for the following year. And, uh, and my lowest grade, I would tell you, was a negative 20. And you can say, how do you get a negative 20? Well, they're in, remember, we're talking elementary school, young, young age levels. And when I was in school, I was always jealous of what I called the smart kids, but not really because they had the grades. I, I thought in my head, if you were a smart kid, you had the best home life, like the braiding bunch. That was what I thought in my head. And I was insanely jealous of that and hurt because my life stunk. So I would always try to distract them during the test, try to get them less grade, whether it's talk to them, throw things on their desk. I push their hands so they write across the test. You name it, I would do it. And I got caught once. And the teacher, I was actually out of my seat trying to pick on this kid. And the teacher said, you get back in your seat. And whenever you get, I'm taking off 20 points for that now. Now, I thought I'd show the teacher. And I said, I'm not going to even try. Just give me a zero. And I smiled. And she showed me. She wrote no. And she wrote negative 20 <laughs> to get a point across. Uh, again, uh, some teachers thought I was lazy. Why don't you just study? I uh, wasn't lazy because sometimes I would spend twice as long as my friends did studying trying to figure out how to cheat on my next test. Okay, so, and my friends would say to them, why don't you just study? It would take half the time. I go, what's the use? So I honestly believed even if I did study, it wouldn't make a difference. Now, why was I like this? Well, because my father was an abusive alcoholic. 
He was both physically and verbally abusive. Now, the physical abuse, I like to call, he had what I call a snap temper. Even as a kid, I used to call it that. He could be talking like we're talking. There's no problem. There's no argument. And seemingly out of nowhere, you were getting screamed at, hit, pushed over, something thrown at you. Uh, and your biggest concern was, is it just once? Is he going to chase me around the house now? And you, net, you just really had no rhyme or reason to it. OK, and it really wasn't because obviously looking back, he was an alcoholic and he was drunk uh, and so on. But that being said, that was the physical abuse with him. Now, the verbal abuse, though, for me, did even more damage. It's the verbal abuse, hearing all these horrible things about myself since I was a kid uh, that destroyed my self-esteem is why I never tried in school. I really believed I was a failure by the time I walked into first grade. Um, and even if I accomplished something, he would knock it right down. What do you want? Big deal. Once in a while you get something, it means nothing, you know, and he would just go, oh, I'm, I'm leaving all the four letter words out for your program, but mix it with those. And, uh, so that's what my self-esteem and, uh, in fact, you mentioned suicide from the time I was 11 years old is when I became suicidal. My first attempt at suicide was 11. And I want to stress to your, your viewers, uh, listeners that, um, it was not for attention. Whenever I hear that, I cringe. Uh, I've known many people from my volunteer record who were suicidal over the years. Not one ever did it for attention. It's like, I didn't want the attention. And what I used to say to people was, I used to say, I don't want to die. I just don't want to live. And you might say, that's the same thing. It's not. I had no idea it was like being dead. I was 11 years old. But I knew it was like being alive. And being alive to me was always pain, drama, and hopelessness. And that's the key I want to stress, hopelessness. I really thought... It's never going to get better. And let's face it, I was being told that by my father. Okay. Uh, my mother was kind of at that time period. I love her, but she was your typical codependent. You know, no, she called me Stephen instead of Steve. Stephen, just try to avoid, well, don't say that anymore. Well, you know, he, and, it's always, and, and for codependent parents, I know you mean well, but that's the worst thing you can do to a child. You're actually telling that child they caused that abuse by doing that. Um, I actually started cutting school. Time was 11 years old on. And here's the, here's the, the tragic part. You know, I went to the public library and I would sit there and I would take books and sit there and just read books. And looking back now, I realized I was years ahead in reading comprehension. And what else would I do? I'd write my famous line to the clerk or librarian, whoever was at that desk was, can I have a pen and paper? And they would hand me paper. Sometimes they give me the whole pad. Uh, if it was halfway done any, anyway, and I would sit there and write short stories, poems. I look back now, I scratch my head and said, did they ever wonder what this kid was doing here <laughs> in the daytime? But nevertheless, that's what I would do. Now, here's the epitome of a low self-esteem. I'm cutting school because I think I'm a failure, but I'm in the library writing <laughs> and reading books. And that was the epitome. Now, by the time I was 12, I ran away back and forth. I did what's called couch surfing, where I'd stay at a friend's house for a few days. And eventually, protective services did get involved, get called, and they stepped in. And, of course, I was put in foster care. I was in two foster homes, one for a month and one for almost exactly a year. And uh, I'll pause by saying I know there's a lot of negative stuff you hear about foster care, but I have to say both families were wonderful. And their only motive was to try to help out a young person, give them some place to live. Uh, the other thing I'll clear about foster care, foster care is not juvie, okay? It's not jail. You're in the foster home because you did nothing wrong. It's because your parents were unfit to take care due to abuse or neglect, okay? And that's, that's where you, kids are in foster care. And that being said, 
Um, so what I learned right out the gate, by the way, I did learn how healthy people have arguments because it's not that those parents didn't argue, but when they argued, they didn't threaten each other. They didn't abuse each other verbally or physically. Uh, no ultimatums. Things weren't thrown around the house. And they were pretty much resolved, whatever it was when life went on. That was a tremendous lesson for me. But when you're in forced care, at least when I was in forced care, you had to either go to therapy, self-help groups, something along those lines. And I did both. And for me, I joined the self-help group. I was in a few of them, and I loved them. But one of the first things I, I realized, my first day in a self-help group, was there were smart kids in it. Now, remember, I thought smart kids had the best home life. And I remember I actually said to one of them, what are you doing here? You know, and she said, you'll see. Well, some of those, quote, smart kids tried suicide more times than I thought about it. And I realized right away it had nothing to do with grades. But the next thing I saw was a revelation. Their abusive parents called them the same thing that my alcoholic abusive father called me. Same names, same terms. And I scratched my head and said, wait a minute. You are a parent's dream. You're a teacher's dream. How are you being called stupid, failure, dumb? I don't want you to. I wish I had another daughter. I wish I had another son. Like, it, didn't, it wasn't logical to me. Me, yeah, I can see that. Okay, but, and that, that was the point I learned. It had nothing to do with me. I could have had great grades. I could have been a different kid. I could have been a girl. He could have had a daughter. It wouldn't have made a difference. He always would have been abusive. He always would have said horrible things. Because it's, it's not what you do as the victim. It's not what you say or what you shouldn't have said or shouldn't have done. An abuser abuses people because they're an abuser. And that's it. And he's an alcoholic. And they drink because they're an alcoholic. Not because you did this. Another thing he used to do, always blame me. Everything was my fault. I had to fight my mom, my fault, his drinking, my fault. I remember he used to be so drunk at times, he could only just point, and he'd point at me. I knew what he was saying, you. And I ran, alcoholic will drink because they're going to drink. And it's got nothing to do, it could be sunny, it could be snow, it could be any kind of weather there is. They, they decided that day to drink. Um, and that was tremendous for me because I had years of guilt taken off me. Uh, I was like two weeks after my 13th birthday, by the way, when I started joining these groups. And um, then one day I came in and I brought some of my writings in. One of the girls, the creative writing, she saw it and wanted to see some of mine. And she said, wow, that's tremendous. I can't write like this. Why aren't you doing good in school? I said, well, I'm stupid. She says, you can't write like this and be stupid, Steve. You're smarter than me. I'm not smarter than you. You get straight A's. And so can you. And why is it you think you're stupid? And of course, why? Because I was told that by who? my alcoholic abusive father. So to make a long story short, because it wasn't overnight, they actually taught me how to study. I never knew how. <laughs> I never bought it. Uh, and all of a sudden, I start passing. And all of a sudden, I only pass. And all of a sudden, I do better than passing. And I almost made a game out of it. How many more questions do I have to get right to get to an 80? How about an 85? And I actually made a game out of it. And before I know, I'm on the honor roll. And then the next whole year goes by, National Junior Honor Society, nothing less than a 90. I joined track and wrestling just to keep myself busy in school. Is one thing I always tell young people, whether it's a sport or a club, do something in school other than the schoolwork. Uh, you appreciate the school better. You don't hate the building as much. You're not running out the door and the last bell rings. And did very well in that. Got the MVP for my track team. Uh, the best thing I laughed at was they eventually made me student of the month. 
Now, that's just my classroom for the entire grade I was in. And they hugged my student up in the hallway, student of the month. I used to walk by that picture and shake my head and laugh. Only two years before that, that same picture would have been a dartboard in the teacher's faculty room. Okay? Now, all of a sudden, they want you to be like me. Here's the thing. When I was picking on those, quote, smart kids, I was one of them. Just didn't realize it. And, I, and that's the horrible effects of a self-esteem. And that's the effects of alcoholism. Um, and I, I will say that how many children today, unfortunately, uh, are living this role that they play, that they're stupid or I'm just not that smart, and they could be geniuses for all you know, but because of the abuse in their home, it's been just beat through their head. Like people say, well, how can you be trained that you're dumb? Hey, wait a minute. How many stories have you heard about soldiers being captured and brainwashed? Okay. And that's from strangers. Okay. Can you imagine your own parent since you're a child beating something through your head so yeah you you can happen it happens all the time um with the self-esteem i should have gone further with school i didn't but it didn't enable me to do well in, in my business world of course as you said i have four successful books published right now and i've been pretty much spending most of my life doing what i'm doing now speaking to schools uh in different interviews just trying to get out there and let other young people know that they're not alone because uh, many times if I speak at live events, I'll say, you just describe me or my brother, you know, or my son or, you know, whoever. And um, and it, it's so important there because, again, as I said to you, many people just don't even realize these things. Another point, we discussed suicide earlier. And for those that are listening, um, again, I've had the pleasure in my travels to know a lot of people who in the same boat as me. And for all of us that either tried suicide and thank God didn't die, okay, or those that just thought about it and never tried it, we all have one thing in common. And we might vary in personality, we might vary in different thought processes, but we all have one thing in common. 100% of us, not 95%, not 99, 100% of us are glad that we didn't die. Why? Because somehow, some way, things always got better, even though they don't seem like they're going to get better. I've said many times in my life, I don't see how this is going to end happy, but it does, you know, uh, things work out. I mean, sometimes you have to be the catalyst. Again, if you're a young person, you're in school, go to the school social worker. You know, I used to always say, I know what they're going to say. I was wrong. I didn't know everything they were going to say. If you're older, um, there's certainly counseling, but, um, uh, community centers, churches. Churches tend to have a lot of self-help groups, 12-step programs. Sometimes they have outreach programs for free. Um, but get that help. Uh, of course, there's the uh, suicide crisis line, which is just 988. That's where you dial 988. There's also National Runaway Safe Line, which is 1-800-RUNAWAY. 1-800-RUNAWAY, which, you know, again, if you're like me, you know, out of your house, not sure exactly what to do before you make any next moves, you might want to call them. Or if you're in a concerned adult or concerned peer, you can call these lines and say, how do I help this person? What, what, I, what do I do for them? Well, that's a really interesting point because I did not know that you could make phone calls asking how, you know, there's a person in your life that you believe needs help and you don't know how to provide that help. So you're saying anybody that senses that their intuition um, kind of tells them that there's somebody that needs some help can intervene on their behalf. 
Yes, you can say, listen, my friend is, I, I really sincerely think he or she is suicidal. What, give me some ideas of what to do. How do I get them help? Or, see, my friends over my other friend's house, it is the fifth time they've left their house. If they say they're being abused, they're staying at his house tonight. Uh, called the switchboard, you know, the runaway one. Is there some, what are some things we can do? Uh, another thing I also stress to people, especially for students that are in school, um, sometimes you're trying to talk someone into seeing the social worker or a counselor, a social worker. And what happens is um, they want to go. Offer to go with them. It's the simplest thing. I always I, I speak to youth groups that look at me and say, I never thought of that. Just offer to go. I'll, I'll go right with you. I'll hold your hand. I'll walk in with you. I mean, eventually, that person might want to eventually have them on their own. But at the beginning, most social workers will be more than happy to have you, but at least you're bringing someone. So often, you won't be doing this alone. I will be with you. And even adults, I stress that I'm, you can do that with adults and, you know, and so on. Um, so that's another suggestion I made, too. It's a simple suggestion, but again, I've heard over the years where, wow, I, I, get, I was always just telling them where to go. I never thought of going with them. So it sounds like that, you know, you've, uh, this has been part of your life, all your life. It started off as, as a kid. You mentioned a brother. Do you have, did you have a brother growing up? Yeah, well, I had a sister and a brother, uh, different father, same mom. And uh, they were also, I got abused far more than them, I guess, because I was quote his. I guess that maybe that was, but they also were subject to his abuse, uh, physical, and a lot of verbal to them. And uh, that weren't that close as time went on, uh, which does can happen in dysfunctional homes. Uh, I think there was almost a resentment towards me to some degree that, that, that he was called my father. But I used to laugh and say, have you been keeping up in current events? He abuses me more than anybody else. <laughs> like, you know, uh, and not like he spoils me. So it was always kind of I was always kind of a lone wolf, so to speak, doing my own thing. You know, I was always the youngest kid. The last one to come back to the house, <laughs> you know, I, I, curfew meant nothing to me. And why? Because abuse kids, we want to get out. We want to escape. And, you know, you'll notice a lot, like in my life and many other abuse children, we tend to make friends that are older than us. Why? Not that we think we're cool, because their curfew is away. They can stay out later. And the longer we stay away from the home, the less chance we have of getting abused. And that's just a fact. Uh, many times you'll see, again, common you have a, a girl dating a guy way much older. Why is she doing that? She knows what she's doing, but it's her ticket out of the house. Okay. The other guy's got a car, maybe has an apartment. And uh, so, you know, no one looks at that side. You know, they're, they're into the scandal. We want to talk about them. Did you ever think that? Well, and I always say when you, when you hear stories, so what's the parents like? Oh, I don't know. Or, or well, yeah, I think her dad drinks. Well, bingo. There you are. <laughs> and, and this person simply, whether it's, I didn't say it's the right thing to do, but if you look at perspective, that young person is doing their best to get out, to escape. Unfortunately, I mentioned before, a lot of codependent parents will not do that for them. My, my mom, by the way, I should stress, uh, did eventually had nothing to do with them and even got a new uh, residence where one of my foster homes was because she wanted me to stay in that school. So God bless her. She did the right thing with that. I give her all the credit to, you know, put the brakes in the codependency. And I stress to listeners, you know, uh, I always say codependency is a disease amongst itself. And it overrides your natural instinct. Your natural instinct as a parent is, my other half is abusing my children. I need to stop this immediately. Unfortunately, in this codependency, I don't want to be alone. You know, what am I going to do? For? And that overrides, okay, their, their instinct to protect their children. Yeah. And one of the, it's, go ahead, I'm sorry. 
No, I was just going to say, I mean, I'm listening to your story and you've shared a whole lot of personal information. And I think that's what what makes it real for people that when you hear somebody say, I have, I've been there, I know the way that feels. And, and, you know, you talked about being lonely. We've got about a little bit more than three minutes left. How would you like, if I asked you to kind of share with our listeners what the three biggest takeaways from the first part of our show were, what would those be? First, you're not alone. I was one of many, okay, one of every five children, possibly four in every class was a child of an alcoholic. You don't have to, you don't cause your abuse. You don't have to put this abuse. You didn't make it happen. Don't be embarrassed. No one's going to yell at you because you're getting abused, okay? And three, again, hope. Your life can get better. It doesn't have to be this horrible drama situation that you live in with constant problems. It honestly can turn around and you can make the difference by yourself to make it better. Well, I think you make some really good points there because when we feel like we just don't have a, a chance, when we feel like everything's lined up against us, we do, we get hopeless. And if you ha- don't have hope, it's hard to even believe that maybe something will change. And and I was so glad that you mentioned the foster parents because I think we all have stereotypes in our head. I have to be honest, I have in the past and thinking that anytime you go into a foster you know, situation, you're going to be abused, you're going to get hurt. And I loved you sharing the goodness that you got out of that situation, because I've often wondered if we had more positive feedback to the general public, would there be more foster you know, parents in the system? And I don't know the answer to that. But it's just it's something that I think is definitely needed. You've mentioned a couple of times, you know, that that nobody's alone, even though you feel like it. And when you least expect it, maybe that someone will show up for you. And just if nothing else, when I say show up, I mean, be there, listen to you, talk to you, be interested in in. What do you have going on in your head? What are you worried about? What can I do to help you? That's one of my favorite questions is, what can I do to help you? And I always get a smile. I've never gotten anything but a smile. And if that's probably why it's my favorite question. <laughs> I get the best, the best questions. I really do. And, you know, I think it's going to be interesting when we come back from break to talk about the the teenage and young adult survival handbook because I've looked at them online and the stories I was looking at going wow I'd like to read that story huh, I wonder what that's about and at that age as you said you know you were always looking to escape you were always looking for a way to get out of where you were and instead of going to drugs or alcohol, you used your imagination. And I think that's, you know, that's great. That's a great way to take yourself out of the, the situation. So we're going to take a break, but stay with us listeners. And when you come back, we can learn a lot more. We'll be back after these messages.
It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Did you know that the average teenager drinks twice as much soda as milk? Since 1983, sugar consumption in the U.S. is up 28%. Why is that? There are several reasons, but one of the most common is soft drinks. 20-ounce beverages have become the norm, and it's not surprising to find that 43% of our sugar comes from drinks. Sugar is blamed for poor nutritional diets. USDA data shows that people whose diets are high in added sugar eat less calcium, fiber, iron, protein, and many other important nutrients. Fat-free foods are also a culprit. Since sugar is fat-free, many people tend to think it's okay to eat as much as they want. Remember that just because a food is fat-free does not mean that it's calorie-free also. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. emergency room nurse will tell you they receive some weird and wild calls. I used to be the night ER nurse at Hennepin County General Hospital in Minneapolis and remember getting a call from someone who was worried about if it mattered or not if their belly button was an innie or an outie. It doesn't matter, but if you're an outie, you are definitely the minority. Still, that's good news because you don't have to worry about a little problem that people with innies have. Pledge it. That's another word for belly button lint. Researchers say the color of the pledget in your belly button is related to the clothing you wear, just like the lint that collects in your clothes dryer. A friend of mine from the Philippines says they call it a chikachu. What do you call a person who's obsessed with their belly button? An omphalopsikite. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So thanks for staying with us. Before we went to break, we were talking about all the different aspects. And, and you know, it's what happens to a kid if you grow up in an alcoholic home or if you don't have anybody that supports you. And and they're, they're terrible things. They're not fun to talk about. And a lot of times nobody wants to talk about them. But Steve has found a really good way to make conversation about it and to make conversation in a way that allows people to participate without it being all about them. So, Steve, tell us how you've used your writing skills to help you send this message. Well, what I do is in in the Teenage Young Adult Survival Handbook, I try to most most of the titles are things that I would personally coming from me. For example, one is the two reasons I wouldn't report my child abuse. Okay, and when I was being abused, there were two big the two biggest reasons. One, I thought it was my fault. So I honestly thought that if I would tell about it, I would just get yelled at and say, "Well, you brought on yourself, and why did you do that?" You know. So, and many young people feel that way. Even I didn't have sex abuse. Many people who were sex abused also were convinced that they brought that on themselves. Okay. Uh, and again, because the abuser manipulates you, makes you think that. So one of the things is to get across, like I said earlier, is you cannot make somebody abuse you. If you do something that would get anyone angry, that you're walking by, you, you actually knock something over and broke something. Okay. But if they abuse you over it, no, 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 no. Now the other reason why, and this is a little different 
was I was afraid of getting my codependent, my mom, in trouble. And a lot of young people, even though their parents not defending them, okay, they defend that the non-abusive codependent parent. And what my answer to that is, you're not going to get them in trouble. You're probably going to get them help, okay? Because most of the time, or well, the abuser will have to, you know, until they get help, you have to be leave the household or they'll have to separate them from you. You're not getting abused. But the other parent, basically, they'll just normally make them go to counseling, okay? Make them go to therapy, which is the best thing for them. Because, you know, uh, another thing that happens to a lot of young people is this. Okay, so let's say the mom leaves this abusive husband. But because they didn't get therapy or help, the next relationship they're in is another abusive person. And that person abuses their kids. And this becomes a pattern. And what happens is, think of that young person. Now they've had multiple adults call them the same name. Now they're almost convinced that there are they are all these horrible things. Uh, and, you know, I mean, there are some parents who've had a handful of abusive relationships and they've taken the kids on the that codependent ride with them. You know, when you're single and you're doing these things and your friends say, I don't know why he or she dates these type of people. That's one thing. When you have children, now you're basically having them abused along with you. So one of the things I stress is, again, not your fault. And if anything, you'd probably be helping you know, your mom or your dad, and even the abuser, because some abusers do get help. Uh, most abuse, most, not all, is caused due to alcoholism. And, if, and after that, it's drug abuse. So maybe some do get clean and sober. They stop their abuse. That's a wonderful thing. Uh, so you might even be helping them out. But the number one thing is, is to help yourself. Uh, because the two things that happen if you don't get help yourself is that either you could become an abuser or be abused in all your relationships to get older. You know, I never forget, I've, I've had people sending me, for example, well, my one child was acting out, so I got them therapy. My other child's fine, their grades are great. I, I don't want to bother them with therapy. Oh, my goodness, did you really think both children lived through this abuse and only one was affected? You know, and, and that one that does great grades might be fighting for their life because they attempted suicide one day. Or you're going to keep saying, why are they always in these abusive relationships? It's because you never got them therapy and never got them help. No one escapes an abusive home without something, okay, some damage, okay? And sometimes that damage doesn't come out till later. So I stress to everybody, if you did the right thing, you, you know, you, you, you left the abuser, you took your children with you, that's good. Get those children therapy immediately, okay? I can't stress the importance of that. Uh, very, very important. Now, another um, one of the books is, I, I, as I said, one of the titles of this chapter on suicide is I don't want to die, I just don't live. And that was what I used to say. And one of the things I, I stress is people don't realize that, it, again, my case, it, it, it's just hopelessness. It's, 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 you feel like everything, for me, I felt like it was always dark out, you know, it was sunny. And, and it's kind of painful because, don't get me wrong, I was always joking. I was always cracking jokes. I, if, you, if you were in school, you wanted to sit near me at lunch because you were going to have a great time. But as much as I was joking outside, I was dying inside, okay? And, uh, and it's the kind of thing when you get depressed like that inside, everyone seems so legitimately happy, and you just don't, you know, and you really feel like a loser. It's almost like when you watch late night TV, okay, and everyone, every guest is just seems to have the best life possible. They talk about the newest album, the newest movie, you know, they all seem great. And you watch it saying, 
I've got to be the only loser in the state. You know, because everyone else is happy. Of course, that's an illusion. And as years went on, some of those guests who ended up in rehabs, who ended up having breakdowns, unfortunately, who ended up committing suicide and dying uh, because of suicide. Okay. And then you realize what you call fronting. And in school, that happens a lot. Um, in school, after a vacation, everyone would tell how great their school vacation was. Everybody had a great school vacation. <clears throat> the reality is probably about 20 to 25 percent had a miserable vacation. Okay, because like I said, at least one every five children is a child of an alcoholic. Uh, and if they're an active alcoholic, you're not having a nice vacation. But because everyone's faking all the time, and I call it hunting, uh, you think you're the only one. And uh, so uh, the thing I stress is that, again, you're not the only one. That's one of my, one of my parts for surviving the holidays in the dysfunctional home. I put that in there because, again, that's. Part of it, you know, when coming from kind of a healthy and a happy home, they look forward to the holidays. You know, with me, even when I did bad in school, it was a love-hate relationship with the school because one thing school did for me, it kept me away from home. And when there was a holiday, it was like, oh, no, I'm going to hold these days. And then your friends are going away to their grandmas. So you, go, you can't hang out with them. Um, so, again, you kind of dread them. When you live in an abusive home, it's the opposite feeling of everybody else. And again, it just lends to that feeling. It's just you. What's wrong with me? You know, God hates me. Good look at this life that I have. And, you know, God doesn't hate you. Unfortunately, this is the choices that your parents made, you know. Um, so, again, those are some of the things I stress there. Another thing is patience with yourself, because I, I did stress before it wasn't overnight when my grades went up. I just made the effort. Uh, and at one point says crossing the bridge where I always say that if, you know, if you're think of a big bridge where you live, you know, and you have to start at the beginning of the bridge and then cross over the water and then get to the other end of the bridge. You know, you can't just pop from one side to the other. It has to be that middle part where you're, where you're still walking over. And, 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 and it's the same thing with us, with our problems. You're not going to, if you want to change something about yourself, it can't be overnight. Lie yourself that time to cross over that bridge, to be at the beginning of the bridge, the middle of the bridge, and you get to the end of the bridge, and you'll, you'll arrive where you want to be. But lots of times we're just impatient with ourselves, and we quit. We don't give ourselves the chance. And sometimes it just takes time, or sometimes maybe trying something, continue to try, but trying something a little differently. You know? And also I go back to stressing again, why um, school social workers are, you know, um, to give them a chance. Because sometimes they do have something that maybe you're just not thinking of, or they have resources or groups that they run uh, that, that would help you out. Um, so, again, these are some of the um, parts that I will discuss in, in the books, uh, in my books, rather. Uh, as far as the fiction parts, uh, I, obviously they're entertaining, but even the characters, as I said earlier, I kind of impose my life on some of them you know so again they could be in the middle of a chase scene a battle scene they could you know whatever's happening in, in the uh, book um uh, but meanwhile one of the characters is talking about abuse that they've had or an alcoholic parent or living through it um and i and i did that originally it was because i was just to put myself in my characters that's you know kids will do later it became a technique to make the characters identifiable, you know, because when a young person reads, or anyone, not just anyone, even an older person reads something as they relate to the characters, the story is that much better. But it was even in the fiction parts, it was just the way of me letting young people know 
you're not alone. Even the characters in this book have your problems. Well, and I think there's nothing more important than that, that than to know you're not alone, that, that you're you've got people that go through what you go through that understand you and can help you. And just by being able to say, I know how you feel that can have a magical impact. Somebody can say, wow, somebody really knows how I feel. And, and, and excellent point, because when I first joined self-help groups, the fact we would make jokes, not that we're mocking it, but we would joke about things we went through because we related to each other. You know what I'm saying? Like one of us would come in and say, oh, I got called this. And that, and we just would start laughing. Not that we're laughing at that. We're laughing because, yeah, I got called the same exact thing. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that sounds about right. And that's so important because, like you said, know how you feel, know what it feels like to be abused, know what it feels like to be alone, have your self-esteem shattered. You know, and also that becomes unity too, because remember too that, you know, a lot, again, a lot of people do have beautiful families today. And I, I love seeing family go to church. I see them together, but that's something I just didn't have, you know? And when you're a child and you see that you just feel lost. So when there's another young person that says, I come from the same boat, man, you know, um, that's kind of important. You know, uh, I know not, not in recent times and busy, when I was younger, I know myself and some of the young people, like on Father's Day, none of us were being out with our father. We didn't see them for years at that point, but we would just go together to the diner or something ourselves, you know, and, and just have a nice time. It was just to keep ourselves busy, you know, and, and so on. So, again, um, we're one of many. I, I, I'm not going to names, but many of the um, celebrities, especially young adult celebrities, are more honest about that now on TV and, you know what I'm saying? And, and posting things. And, um, you know, some say, should they do that? I said, yes, because it's letting other people, young people know, Hey, you're definitely not alone. Cause I'm as successful as I am. I'm going through the same thing as you are. Well, I think that that's a great point. And, and however people can reach out, however, you know, if you, for the, our listeners, if you know somebody that lives down the street and you worry about them, it just if let's say that you have that situation, what would you recommend that they do, Steve? Now, if, no, my question again, if you know someone. Uh, so that you live in the neighborhood and, and you, there's a family down the street and you worry about the kid. You feel like the, the kid in that house is not appreciated. It's not being well cared for. What do you do about it? Well, here's the line. If it if it's a, if you think they're being abused, you definitely want to call protective services. And now, and I have to say, everyone gets queasy with that. Now, but here's the funny thing. I, I've said this joke many times. If somebody parks in the wrong parking spot, or someone puts the garbage out on the wrong night, they're calling 911 on the person. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> when it comes to child abuse, oh, we can't get involved. No, 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 no. Don't get involved with that. You know. And I scratch, you have to ask yourself the question, really? Aren't your priorities a little mixed up? So if you think it's abuse, you are obligated. I know technically only teachers and people like medical people are, are, are mandated reporters, but I feel everybody's really a mandated reporter. You really should be pointing it. Now, if you suspect that it's probably true. Now, if it's a matter where I don't think they're being physically abused, I don't think it's, I just think that, I don't know, I just think that um, there's neglect or something. Then you can maybe invite them over for dinner or something. I mean, you play it by ear, maybe invite 
the mom over or the if you see the dad's not around, you think he's drinking, whatever the situation is. Um, you know, now another thing is in many families, grandparents and aunts and uncles are suspicious or even more than suspicious of it. And they do nothing. Okay. They do nothing, whether they don't want to have a, they don't want to have a confrontation with the abuser. So you'd rather let your grandchild or your niece and nephew continue to get abused. Or if they say, well, I really don't know how bad it is. Okay. You're the aunt or uncle, you're the grandparent, invite them over for a weekend. Okay. Get to know them a little better. Maybe they'll open up to you. How are things going in the house? And they, you know, I don't say it the second they come over, but maybe they'll open up to you and you'll find out for sure. How is it bad or is it not as bad as you think? Is it really bad? Um, make that effort with them. If you have kids yourself and I guess cousins, even better excuse to have them come over. If it's just a school vacation, hey, why don't you come over for the week? You know, whatever it is, the more time you spend, the better chance it is they'll open up to you. Uh, but I always say, well, I hate to make waves in that family. So, again, think of what the equation is going to be. You just let the kid continue to be abused. Let your niece, your nephew, your grandkid, whatever, your cousin, whatever it's going to be. So you, this way you don't want to make waves. Make waves. You know, be a, I always say be a hero. OK, be a hero. And go out there and help that young person. Because I tell you right now, if you did that, if you suspected abuse, and sure enough there was, and they were able to get help, for their whole life, they'll talk about their neighbor, their aunt, their uncle, their grandparent that basically saved them. Okay? If you don't, okay, when they're an adult, they will always remember that you guys all knew. Always. I remember, uh, again, a young adult celebrity ramp- rampaged on an interview once about how many people knew about her abuse and she went off on it. And I, and I, it got my heart cause I related, I got, I get where she was coming from. Okay. And, um, and everybody knew it. So if you think, so, you know, if that, you don't want to be in that category, okay. Where they they'll despise you basically because you did nothing about it. Uh, as opposed to again, be that hero, take the chance, see what's going on. Well, that's good advice for our listeners, and it's at a lot of times it it's hard because what if you accuse somebody and it's it's not true, and well, how will that come back on me? And and there's a lot of of emotion that's associated with it, no doubt about that. But when you think about well, let's ask you what caused you to turn your life around. Well, again, for me, again, it was based abuse being, uh, of course, reported, being in self-help, being, you know what I'm saying, being in therapy. Most of all, you, you hit on it earlier, seeing peers, okay, seeing others like me, and then also seeing others like me go, thriving, being successful, being happy, you know, not, not carrying this baggage. There's so many things that you think are part of your personality. They're not part of your personality. It's because you're, you're abused or you're a child of an alcoholic. This is the reason. So the positive news is that positive thing is that you don't have to be like this. You know, someone always says, I have a relationship I get in. I have the worst luck. It's not luck. (laughs) It's it's what you're seeking, what you're allowing to happen to you. So I think, again, just being around others that have it, if therapy, some people like therapy, but they don't like groups. Okay, go to a therapist, but go to one that that's their thing. Like if if you're from abuse, they deal with abuse victims. If, If you're a child of an alcoholic, they, that's their realm, okay? Because just like a, there's different type of attorneys for things and doctors, you know, some therapists 
they'll focus on certain things and you if they find out that's your realm that's where you're coming from you want to look at and today with the internet it makes it so much easier you know uh to figure out who really does what well it's hard to know where to go it's how it's hard to know how to ask for help it's it's embarrassing. There's a lot of shame and blame involved. And if our listeners hear one thing, I hope that it's get help if you feel like you need it. If you know you need it, get help. And if you've got, if nothing else, call 988. And at least then you'll be put in touch with someone that is a mental health. It's not like calling 911 where you go into a dispatch. You call right. 988. And you get in touch with somebody that has a, a little bit of mental health background and that can really, truly help you. What's the youngest that you've ever seen a child initiate and ask for help on their own? Oh, my. Um, asking for help? I, yes. I would probably say even in early grades. I, I mostly when I talk about middle school, high school, college. But I used to once in a while, I would get like a grammar school, elementary school. And I, sometimes the social workers will email me or just, they won't tell me specifics, but, hey, just let you know, one child or two children ask for help. And it was actually an elementary school level. And, and they said, hey, by the way, just let you know, some of our students after they heard you went, you know, went, went to extra help from teachers about abuse in the household. So it, it can be that young. And as far as suicide, I was 11. I know others that said they were nine, you know, saying when they started thinking of suicide, it, you know, it's something not taken lightly. And when you're in a teenager, like you have a teenager that says, threat, ah, they just been a teenager. Oops, don't do that. Don't automatically say they're just being a teenager or being a child. Listen to them. You know, listen to them. That's so hard because I, I know we, we stereotype teenagers and we think, oh, they're all over the place. They're drama queens. They over-exaggerate. Mm -hmm. And sometimes maybe that stops us from acting as responsibly as we should. And are there any red flags that you can point out to our listeners to maybe look for? Well, isolation is one. If they used to be involved in different things and now, whether it's at home or at school, and they don't seem to have that interest anymore, uh, they're not hanging with their friends anymore, obvious depression. But even if, here's the thing, though. They could be joking around, but if they're saying lines, like, oh, I actually hit my life. I, I'd rather die. Like, even though it, it could be in the middle of joking, but you'll hear that little vent, those are things to be taken seriously. Okay. And one of the biggest signs, people ask us for signs, and these are some of the signs, like I said, uh, again, more and more lack of interest in things. But if you know for a fact, here's the biggest sign. If you know for a fact you're having issues, whether there's alcoholism in your household, depression, mental illness, or even if you're just plain fighting with your spouse a lot or this issue, just got divorced, any of these categories, that's a sign. I mean, you know, obviously, that's a sign because something's going to go on your kid's mind. And by the way, with this, another tip off, with this economy we have right now, do not discuss your financial problems in front of your children. There's nothing wrong in saying we have to tighten our belts up a little bit, things are tight. That's part of life. But when you say lines like, hope I don't lose a house like the Joneses did, I hope, you know, oh, hope I don't lose my job. You put such a, an anxiety on your children that they weren't supposed to have. Let them focus on the schoolwork. Don't use your kids as venting posts. They're not your best friends. They're not your peers. They're your children. Talk to your friends about it. Talk to your adult siblings about it, your parents about it, if you have a relation with them. And don't do it when your kids can hear. That's been a big issue recently. We're even quoting healthy homes. 
They're discussing their issues too much in front of their children. The children feel guilty. They think they're, they're taking all your resources now. Um, some of their grades start plummeting. So just be aware. You're supposed to be a realist with your children, a realist, but always have hope. Do not lose, use lines like, I hope we don't become homeless. Don't do that in front of them. Even though, you, oh, I was just trying to make a point. That's, a, that, that's horrible anxiety. And if your child had depression issues that you weren't aware of yet, you just exploded them. So, again, just we'll put that out there as well. Well, that's that's good at, to have put that out there. We've got about four minutes left, and and I just want our people to know that, you know, help is if you have a tough time talking to your kids, if you don't know what to say to your kids. You know, I, I keep going back to the books because I think that that's an easy way to give them information in a way that they can identify with and a, a way that they can process, break down, and understand. And in our last three minutes, anything that you haven't said about the books that you'd like to add? Well, just what you said, it's, 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 if your kid, the child doesn't talk, you can just leave them in their room or for them. Again, they're going to see the fiction part first, so they're not going to realize what it is. Leave it for them because sometimes they might come to you with questions once they read them. And I think that's real important uh, as well. Uh, and again, I give resources. The books also have different areas they can get help from. So it's just, you know, if you have a hard time, I just can't. can't I, I, they're going to start arguing. The second I start talking, they're going to shut me down. Fine. Just give them the book. Or if you want to do this, take it. I know it sounds silly, but these things work. If you want to make sure they read it, bribe them. <laughs> you bribe them for other things in life. So listen, I know you really want to go to this place. I will take you there. Okay. If you read this whole book, but all of it from page to page. Uh, the fiction and nonfiction, okay? You can start with the nonfiction, tell them. I'd rather you do that and show them that. And you might laugh and say, bribe them? Yes. <laughs> Believe it or not, the parents laugh, but it kind of works, okay? I know you really want this. I'll buy it for you, but I, I'm going to quiz you. You're really going to read this. Because once they read it, it's in their head now. You know what I'm saying? You, uh, they might be either on the spot or eventually open now to getting help. And if anything, if anything, they read realizing they're not alone and maybe have some hope. That's great advice. That really is. And for people that are interested in finding the books, can you tell them where they can find the books? And two, if they have a, wanted to reach out to you directly, if that's possible, how would that be done? Yes. You know, a few things. First is powerpublishingcorp.com. That's the website. Power Publishing Corp. That's C O R P dot com has the books and, and ways to reach me. And of course, I'm also on Instagram. It's Instagram at author Steve Simpson, author like a writer, author Steve Simpson, or Facebook at author Steve Simpson. And it's S I M like in Mary, P S O N. Uh, so again, Instagram, Facebook, or again, the Power Publishing uh, Corp dot com website, any of those ways. And you can certainly even have a question for me. Uh, you can leave it there and I will get back to you. Thank you so much for offering that to our listeners. And I encourage everybody, you know, parents, siblings, neighbors, I encourage everybody to to use this as a as an eye opener and to be aware that if there's somebody out there and they do you think they might need help, they probably do. And just being kind, just offering um, some type of resource maybe a game changer and a life changer for them. Steve, thank you so much for being with us today. I enjoyed hearing how you 
grew up and grew out of it and wish you the best as you go forward with your message. I appreciate the opportunity. Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, TogiNet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. 